Uh, this is Alex Del Sordo and another Zoom uh, podcast. I'm tired. CJ's had me do three or four of these a day. It's exhausting but fun because I get to talk to people about rowing, which I love. I get to meet new people, which I love. And uh, I get to learn stories. And stories to me are a big thing. And I think Reed Johnson's got a great one. I got Reed Johnson. He's running Pelham Rowing. It's up like North Jersey, New York area. He's been rowing a very long time. We're going to get to know him. His training philosophies. He's a young guy in the sport. And uh, we're going to talk about COVID-19 and how it's affected his team. So Reed, welcome to the show, man. Thanks for having me on. Really appreciate it. I'm excited, dude. So listen, I don't know you from Adam, okay? And I start every podcast with the same question. I want I want to know from Stroke Woman, right? Mm-hmm. So when you took your first stroke to today, get me get me in that timeline and tell the listeners a little bit about you and your history. Uh, yeah, right on. Um, it's uh, it, I mean, it's definitely a story, and like we said, it's like coaches can tell stories. So I'll just jump right in. Um, so uh, I'm originally from Darien, Connecticut, um, which does not have a, a youth rowing program, um, either at the high school or in the community. So that's shocking because I would have thought every gosh darn team in Connecticut had rowing. It just feel it just seems like it's a, a major rowing part of the world. Oh, ab- absolutely. Um, but that's uh, as you guys probably are aware, that's very much on the club level. So Saugatuck, Maritime, what have you. So. Um, growing up, um, my my parents got me involved with uh, with hockey at about the age of four. So um, I was a uh, I was actually a pretty big time hockey player for um, the the formative years of my life. From about the ages of I got really serious with hockey at about the age of I wouldn't want to say eight, um, all the way through eighteen years old when I graduated from high school. Can any eight-year-old be serious about hockey? I mean, <laughs> like, I, no, I know, I know, I know. Trust me, I, I know it's a little bit, it's a little bit wild. But I just like, I guess the the reason why I bring that up is I've always been very attracted to athletics in general. You know, in the team environment, um, that's how my dad and I really related to each other, like mm-hmm. really early on. Uh, big time New York Rangers fans, um, so we bleed blue, right? So, in any case. Um, and this is the other reason why I bring that up is it, it brought me to Salisbury School. Okay. Uh, Salisbury being an all-boys boarding school in the uh, very northwest corner of Connecticut. Um, it's your classic, you know, uh, boarding school setup, uh, big open spaces, um, incredibly good faculty, yep. very supportive board of trustees, and then, you know, um, a very incredible uh, top-notch athletic program. So, I went there as a uh, as a sophomore in high school um, for, for many different reasons, but the a big one was the hockey program. It's um, it's top notch. It's that hockey program is is consistently sending uh, kids to Division One, um, you know, scholarship level programs, and then onto the NHL. So um, that was my brief uh, sort of athletic background with uh, mixed in with lacrosse, soccer. Um, running, tennis, uh, swim team, the whole thing. So I, I, I just lived it. And then when I, so when I got to Salisbury in the fall of 06, um, again, hockey being the big thing for me, my sophomore year, I, uh, I didn't end up making the varsity roster uh, as a uh, active player, but I played sort of both varsity and junior varsity. Okay. Um, and then I played lacrosse that spring and, you know, I was a good lacrosse player. I had a great time with it, um, really enjoyed it. But 
you know, I just, I just sort of remember, you know, looking, I, I wanted something different. You know, I wanted to be um, out of a hockey rink. I wanted to be outside sort of, you know, feeling a little bit free, right? Like, like equipment free, so to speak. Yeah. And yeah, so right. my grandfather actually rode at Princeton University um, in, in the 50s. So he, he uh, graduated in 58 from Princeton. Um, he was an Eastern Sprints champion in 57 with the lightweight varsity eight. Um, what? Yeah. Yeah. You're talking, you're talking, you're talking 1950s Princeton royalty. Like that's, right. I'm a huge history buff. Of right on. I was, so I was a history major in college. So this, so this there we college. go. We have something in common. You know, the night, man, what, what a time to be rowing Eastern sprints. Right. Mm -hmm. And you're, you're saying your your it was your grandfather. Yep. 1958 uh, sprints winner. Yep. Did he carry on rowing after that? I mean, did you, were you, was he alive for you to kind of see any of that or did he just stop rowing after college? Yeah. So, so what ended up happening there, Alex was so, um, so they won sprints. He was in the light varsity eight. Um, and then they went on to Henley and they won the Thames cup, um, which I believe now is more of a club level event at Henley. Right. Um, at, but I believe in the day it was mostly for students. And anyway, so he actually, uh, so he graduates from Princeton in 58 and he goes and joins the Navy um, at the ripe age of 21. Um, and then uh, in between graduating and joining the Navy, he met, he met my grandmother. So they got married really young, like most people did in those days. And so his rowing career was, uh, was over after graduation. He didn't, wow. um, I'm, I, I'm not aware of any club level or national team stuff from him. Um, what I do know is this though, and, and this is part of my story about rowing is it was by far and away one of his most fond memories uh, in his life. Um, he ended up being, uh, his name is Leonard Yerkes, by the way. Um, Leonard, uh, again, my grandfather ended up being, um, a major part of the board of trustees for the uh, Princeton university rowing association for many years. Wow. And so when they rebuilt, uh, the Shea rowing center, um, in the, in like 2000, 2001, he was on their fundraising committee for that. Um, yeah. So if you've actually ever been to the Princeton boathouse and you walk, uh, which I'm sure most people have that listen to this, when you walk in the main doors, um, he uh he's on the wall right as you walk in he's to the left there's a picture of the you're looking at the backs of them they're at henley and on the top of the picture is is them getting their award uh their medals for winning the Thames cup so uh you I, know, I, i'm speechless i mean I, I i don't usually get speechless this is this is awesome i yeah. love this and, and and to be to be honest with you i didn't know about this growing up i i didn't have a sense of this my mother went to Princeton as well. So she, you know, it's, it's kind of a thing. His, uh, so my great grandfather also went there and rode a little bit in the thirties, like not like this, but, uh, but he did row for a bit. Um, <laughs> so I, I was always aware of it. So anyway, I get to Salisbury school. I'm looking for something different. I get on the phone with him. Uh, like, cause, cause why not? You know, it was my grandfather and he yeah. suggests I, I go try rowing. So, um, Salisbury school, like I said, incredible athletic program. And just one of the absolute um, very best coaching staffs and set up for rowing anywhere, period. Um, I don't, most people probably haven't been there, but uh, what also helped was they had just rebuilt the boathouse to the tune of like a $3 million price tag. Um, so that, that helped. 
get, get me and uh, some other athletes down to the boathouse. We actually have our own lake there too. So um, it's called the Twin Lakes. And uh, it's very much your classic schoolboy New England's uh, program. Um, we, you know, we, we don't, we don't really, or at, in, in my day, I know it's changed now, but we didn't row in the fall. We didn't really train the winter because you're required to play three sports. Um, so my first, uh, rowing experience again, like mixed with my grandfather, mixed with the coaching staff who also is your, you know, those are your teachers in the classroom as well. I had the bright idea of hopping on the bus my junior year to go down to Oak Ridge, Tennessee. Um, and, uh, that would have been in March, the spring of March, uh, 2008. And, um, my first strokes were in Oak Ridge, Tennessee in the snow. Huh. And, uh, yeah, just, just, but it, it just had me hooked right away. I just love the energy. Um, a, a man by the name of Dick Curtis, uh, who's been very, very involved with rowing, um, since the sixties when he was a student athlete at Boston university. Um, he spent a lot of time on the national team. Uh, he actually ended up making the 80 team that was, uh, that didn't go because of the boycott. Right. Yeah. Um, anyway, so he, he, he's still at Salisbury. He doesn't really run the program anymore, but he did at the time. Um, you know, he brought up guys like Elliot Hovey, Porter Collins, uh, Brad Wernz, if you know that name, of course, uh, Gordon Getzinger is a good friend of mine. Gordon is the Saga Tech girls head coach and they're obviously crushing it. He's a Salisbury guy. Uh, Kerry Wasserman, the head coach at Greenwich, another Salisbury guy. Um, so this is sort of the, the lineage that I found myself in and I, I was hooked right away. And um, anyway, so, so I got to interrupt. There's yeah. uh, you know, you're a, uh, you're, you're, you're a convert, you know, typically what we find in, in rowing is like yep. a lot of kids don't like rowing. So they become a lax bro or oh. they just go do that kind of stuff. You're the exact opposite. You were a lax bro hockey bro yep. and you yep. became a rower. That's uh, that's, right. that's, that's rare air, dude. That, yep. There's not a lot that happens. I tell people this story, Alex, and they, and, and I tell them my hockey background and I'm like, you know, like a lot of the questions I get, cause again, it's a, it's a very robust hockey program at Salisbury. Um, they're like, you know, who'd you play with? And you know, like guy like Chris Kreider, you know, a winger for the New York Rangers, you know, he, he and I did some stuff together and, and um, you know, so, but my point is, is I just was so attracted to what rowing represented. Obviously my grandfather helped that situation, but it was the, um, you know, it was the really the, the fellowship and the camaraderie of the Salisbury program uh, that again, uh, Dick Curtis was running at the time. Um, it, it was just incredible, the energy. So learning how to row in the snow, like it just, it was like the best experience ever. I was hooked right away. I ended up, um, you know, I had never been on an ERG before, to, like, and we had to get on and do a 2K, right? Um, I think I went like 701 or something like that. Like first 2K ever, just like ripping at like, 25 26 strokes a minute just like you know flailing around just like whatever but um but again like i was hooked and and then i ended up making the third boat uh for that spring we we ended up getting a bronze medal at the, the new england championships in worcester nice. and then uh from there uh from the with the encouragement of one of the uh, assistant coaches by the name of tote smith uh he's a yale guy yale lightweight for andy card in the 90s um, he's now running the program at Brooks School in Massachusetts. But Tote, um, Tote sort of sunk his teeth into me, again, knowing my grandfather's background and the whole Princeton thing, right? He suggested that I go uh, and try rowing a little bit more seriously at uh, Penn AC that summer. Mm. 
So I go, I go from learning how to row in the middle of March in the snow in 2008 to I find myself on the Schuylkill River in June 2008 um, at one of the preeminent, uh, you know, rowing clubs and, and programs in the country, right? And because uh, what else was there to do? You know, that, that's just sort of how the Salisbury program operates. It's like, let's get these kids going, right? Wow. Let's get them out of the rink. Let's get them off the field into a boat. So... I think my rowing, my introduction to rowing was, was certainly Salisbury, but, but truly, in a lot of ways, it was Penn AC. Um, so Penn AC, yeah. so Salisbury, obviously, history of rowing, but Penn AC, when you walk into that boathouse, there's a smell. There is a, there's yeah. a vision of what rowing is for 150 years. And I think as a young athlete, that's probably what you gravitated towards, right? That's 100%. The quality of boats. The, the, I mean, really the variety of shells and then that picturesque view on the boathouse, like the, on the dock, mm-hmm. overlooking the museum, right? And then knowing that because of your grandfather and how much you love and appreciate history, knowing all the great athletes that stepped on that dock right. for 150 years. I mean, I, I would kill at the age of, what, 15 or 16 to have that experience, yeah. right? Yeah. So you had that. That's awesome. It was it was once in a lifetime, and, and what was what was really interesting about that summer at Penn AC was um, that was the there was a little bit of stuff that had happened the summer before. I don't really know what it was, but they had actually moved the Penn AC junior athletes out of the dorms at Penn, and they told us we had to uh, my group that we had to get our own living arrangements. So oh. I was uh, at the ripe old age of seventeen living with um, two Colgate guys that had made the under twenty three pair that summer, um, you know, to represent the U S obviously internationally. And then three of, uh, three of my buddies, uh, another Salisbury guy, and then two Chaminade guys, uh, from Long Island. We had our own place together. Um, right. Ab- it was sort of set right above the Wharton school of business. Um, let me just stop you right there. I yeah. have two children and I, I would not let my 17 year old son live with two college kids yep. and three buddies Yep. from Chaminade alone in Philadelphia. I, I, I mean, your parents must really respect and trust you because I would not do that. We, I mean, look, like we, uh, you know, th- I think those stories are certainly for another time, probably not for this podcast, but, <laughs> yeah. but we definitely had our fair share of fun. But what I think the bigger point there, and like Alex, like you alluded to with the history of Penn AC and the incredible athletes, like the Ted Nash era, the, the Tom Bohr era, right? Uh, um, sort of how, that, how those crews were built um, on the Schuylkill, you know, launching off that dock, you know, yeah. every day, two or three times a day. Right. And then mixed with like, so like, for example, summer of 08, Wisco had just won the national championship, right. The IRA and like two or three of their guys, uh, came right out of that crew and were at Penn AC that summer training as well. So it's just like, I just, uh, hold on. Was that, yeah. um, McMullen didn't do that. Did he, did Joe McMullen do that? So like I, I graduated in 08 from, from um, GW. So okay. I, I was at that IRA and I watched Joe McMullen's a really good friend of mine. Cool. And he was in, he was bouncy to that eight. Uh, okay. um, so I'm just wondering, I forget who went out there. I think he did. It can't remember. It's possible. I, I, all I just remember is, and like we had no interaction with these like under 23 senior guys. Cause they looked at us and they were like, we're like the annoying little mosquitoes. Like we're kids, kid, right? We're kids. Yeah. But I just remember, I mean, I'm all about, 5'10". Like, I'm a, I'm a lightweight-sized guy that just wanted to play ball with the big dudes. Um, and, you know, these 6'5", these 6'8", six, six, just 
you know, full of muscle and ripping 550 ergs at, you know, rate 32. It's just like, you kind of get immersed in that. And then I just remember being like, holy, like, what am I got myself into? So, I, but the thing was, I didn't really know how to row yet. Like I did, but I didn't, not to their standards, of course, right? So, and this is something that I always remember and I'll, and I'll, and I tell anyone that I coach who's, who's frustrated, upset, doesn't know why the, you know, why does the coach pick on me kind of thing, right? And, you know, cause we always take those things personally. And, and again, here I come a high level boarding school athlete, you know, varsity level athlete at Salisbury school. And I was put in my place, not in a bad way, but just so quickly. Mm. that we we spent a lot of time in Cox Fours that summer at a coach I had two coaches uh Ryan Strauss and Austin Nichols I don't know if you guys know those guys but uh really good guys that really helped me sort of understand the finer points of the of the stroke and sort of the sport so I was uh the two seat of every Cox Four I was in every boat was port rigged so I was two seat and I was not referred to by name for a while I was I was two seat um and Mm -hmm. like I didn't honestly see that as demeaning. I saw that as, you know, uh, very clear, concise instruction about what I needed to do. So, uh, so bow pair of these Cox fours, uh, were doing legs only drills, uh, for about three miles at a time, um, on the square, just up and down the Schuylkill river. I'll never forget it. And then when I learned how to connect the blade to the boat, you know, leverage that into the foot plate, sort of hang your weight off that, off that handle. Um, after doing all these, just, you know, methodical drill, I just, I, I ended up being the seventh seat of the eight that summer at Penn AC. Oh, wow. And, um, so again, I, like, that's what I sort of tell young athletes. It's like, you know, you gotta, you gotta literally crawl before you can walk and you gotta, you have to walk before you can run in our sport. Um, so anyway, that, that's, that's sort of, baptism by fire for me uh we go up to canadian henley we do pretty well have a great time and then um i get back to salisbury for my senior year uh i had made the varsity team uh for hockey that year we ended up winning the new england championship which is a big deal um for that uh you know for that community of people um and i had actually been uh you know i've been recruited to a few schools uh more division three for hockey but, but I'd sort of had an eye for going to play juniors um, after Salisbury, you know, take a year or two off, get recruited. Um, and, and, but as it turns out, my, my best friend to this day, he, I was the best man at his wedding, uh, a guy by the name of Cody Burgess. Uh, he and I had been rowing together and he, and he really wanted to go to Hobart. And um, this was the spring of 09. And um, that was the one school that I applied to um, because of him really. Um, it also helped that my, my mom's college roommate from Princeton is a professor up there at HWS. And so I sort of applied on a whim. I got in and I went back and forth on this for the whole year. Right. And so at at the time, I, again, I was thinking junior hockey, junior hockey, junior hockey. And then we had actually had a really good senior season. Uh, that spring, our one V and two V at Salisbury were very top notch. You know, going toe to toe with Kent, Andover, Exeter, St. Paul's. Uh, you know, that's that's aggressively fast. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and 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 so we so both those crews, um, if I remember correctly, ended up meddling at Nira's uh, at the New England Scholastic Championships. And 
and I walked up, I, I got off the dock that day with my medal. I believe it was a bronze. And I just remember thinking like, wow, maybe this is really what I want to do. And like, mind you, this is like two weeks before graduation. I hadn't really made any decisions. I get back to my dorm room at Salisbury, you know, things are starting to clear out. Underclassmen are leaving. Families are about to come to campus for, for graduation ceremonies. And I remember calling my, my dad just and basically saying, you know, look, like, this is what I really want to do. And I've gotten into Hobart and my best friend and roommate's going to, that's where I'm going to go. Wow. So we sent my deposit in a week before graduation, spring of 09. And, and then um, I was on the Hobart campus in the fall of 09 as a, you know, varsity level rower. <laughs> and so, okay. So I yep. want to go back to something really quick. So yeah. I think, you know, this, our, our sport, our, our, our sport rowing um, is, is lacking something. Okay. Uh, it doesn't have the the pizzazz and excitement like lacrosse does. It doesn't have maybe the following that hockey does. And you 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 competed in two high level programs. Yep. Hockey and rowing. What is what is rowing missing right now as a mm -hmm. sport to be on the same level as lacrosse or hockey? Yeah, that's a great question, and that's actually a question that I sort of grapple with all the time. And and I certainly don't obviously have have the right answer, maybe uh, I, I have my opinions. I, I think right off the top, uh, you know, I think we as a community could do a better job of, of explaining um, that rowing isn't just a sport uh, that requires sort of, I don't want to sound harsh, but there's barrier to entry in these other sports, right? You have to be at a certain level of athleticism right? To be a lacrosse athlete in my neck of the woods or a hockey player or, or what have you, right? And I think it's a general misconception that rowers are bad athletes. I think that, um, and I can get into this a little bit more with my coaching background, but the, the best kids that I've coached in, in the sport of, or athletes, I should say, in the sport of rowing are also tremendous athletes. Um, you know, these are kids that, that could legitimately go not to, unlike myself, could go and play other sports. Um, so I think it, it, I think there's that. Uh, you know, just delivering the message in a way that it's like we obviously want people to come row, right? We want athletes, all these, especially junior clubs, that that, that space is really growing in in the U.S. You know, we want to attract uh, a lot of people, and and you know, obviously, all these clubs need revenue. Um, so I think think delivering a message that. You know, it's not, it's not an unathletic sport, right? And, and so, you know, that, that can be tricky, but I think is doable. I think an, another big thing um, is just, you know, you typically get these kids early on and they get so disenfranchised by the machine. They, they, they think it's too hard, right? And, and they just, they, I don't, I, I, I'm hesitant to use the word burnout necessarily, um, but to capture their interest in a way that, that makes rowing feel a little bit um, more holistic and a little bit more of a process rather than just hang and bang for 2000 meters on an erg machine and try to break seven minutes, 6.30, 6.20, what have you, right? How do we, how do we make our sport cool in the eyes yeah. of young kids? Like, so, you know, when I was growing up, it's like, you know, there was the, the Mighty Ducks movie. I mean, I was like, right. it's the greatest freaking movie of all time. I want to be a hockey player. Yep. 
So, so yeah, I mean, like, what do you think as someone who runs a program? Yeah. What do you, how do you make it cool? I, well, I, I think sort of, you know, just the things that I've mentioned about sort of how you deliver the message about, you know, what is rowing and sort of what is it in the United States and on the club level. Um, yeah. I think that we could do a much better job in general of really talking about, and Alex obviously being a history guy, you know, the history of our sport. Um, it's, mm -hmm. it's, I mean, if you know anything about it, it's the oldest intercollegiate varsity yeah. level sport yeah. um, yes. in the United States and maybe the world, right? The Harvard-Yale race yeah. and, uh, you know, started on Lake Winnipesaukee in the 1850s. Um, you know, and just, and, and just kind of getting out of the mold of just like, like it's just this like buttoned up East Coast sort of elitist sport, right? Um, and so I think delivering that message and then more, more directly to like make it cool, you know, I think that really comes from the head coach and sort of how does he or she, right, interact with their athletes um, in a way where it's, it's welcoming but challenging at the same time because I think what ends up happening is there's this pretty polar opposite from what I've seen just kind of like, you know, going around looking at other programs. It's either like you're literally the fun club or like you're this elite level like 30K a day club, you know what I mean? And there's like no in between. There's no like, and I thought, so I think just, and, and that's, that's tough to address, right? Because there's, there is so much barrier to entry. You know, rowing is an expensive sport. You, you've got to have these facilities. You have to have these boats, oars, ergs, um, what have you. But um, it just, to me, it feels like a, a lot of all or nothing. Um, and, and I think that to make it cool is to make it accessible in a way that feels um not only welcoming, but also challenging at the same time, right? And, and sort of respecting kids on their level. Um, and so I think ways to do that is like, you know, get kids out in, in, in these trainer singles, right? Like have them go mess around, like make them feel like, like they can really like build skill in a sport, right? Because um, I think that's what sports like hockey, basketball, lacrosse, soccer sort of have over us is like, um, because I hear kids say this all the time. It's like, you know, do we have to do this again? Right? Like, what's the point of this? And there is some truth to that, right? But, you know, based on my own experience, my own background and working with the athletes that I've had the good fortune of working with at these programs, they really treat it as a very much a skill-based, you know, um, process where, where there's actual structure to it. Um, and it's not just, again, it's, do you see, you see what I'm saying? It's like, there's, 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 there's more to it. I just, I think that a lot of like, for example, like for me in my program, not that we're at this point yet in the talk, but we do steady state in a very, very relaxed, easygoing manner. Um, and I can get more into that later. Um, but like you have to keep these kids coming back and the more they come back and the more kids want to do it, the more it's just going to seem cool, you know, because the more kids that we get involved and the more that they talk about it at school, that they've got this like really crazy engaging storyteller, you know, coach at Greenwich or Pelham or Saugatuck, you know, clubs in our area. It just, it sort of builds on itself. Right. Um, yeah. I, I, I think it's very much at that, you, at that grassroots level. I don't want you to confuse my silence with um, not understanding you. It's because, Typically, I'm the one that does a lot of the talking in these and okay. I'm a very talkative person. But what you're saying, I'm, I'm writing three pages of notes on because what you're saying is 
the question that we've been trying to answer for a long time and to hear it from a coach yep. who does it for a living, right? Mm -hmm. Hear from a coach who, who like has been at those levels yep. uh, is powerful. So I'm, I'm just, I'm spending a lot of my time listening to what mm -hmm. you're saying. Mm -hmm. um, you know, here, here's the reality. We have a distance, 2000 meters, that has been around for a long time. We have a style of training that is very difficult for the average person to do and to understand. Right. Like, if you're new to the sport and you do three by 20, you're like, what the hell am I doing? Like, like why this, am I doing this? This is horrible. Right? It's terrible, right? Or then, or then so let's say your first erg, you went 701, but the coach said to you, you gotta go 630 to make that varsity eight. Well, right. I don't comprehend that as someone who's new to the sport, of course. Right? right? So, so that, the reality is, there is an, a misunderstanding of what need, what you need to be like to be successful in this sport. That's right. Five foot ten. That's right. Nothing going up against guys six foot six who are just better than you, right? But right. that's the motivation you need to go harder and work harder. So the visual of rowing mm -hmm. needs to be changed, right? Yeah. How we present the sport, how we look at the sport needs to be changed because ultimately Pelham, you, us, we all want more people rowing. That's right. We want, we want to be on ESPN. I want to be able to turn on ESPN and see the top 100 high school athletes today. Mm -hmm. And I want to see who's coming down the pike. And I want to talk about who's going to be the next Olympian. Mm -hmm. That yeah. stuff is yeah. awesome. That's like watching Wayne Gretzky grow up, right? That's right. So, so I'm with you. And forgive me if I'm quiet. I just, I'm writing everything you're saying. Um, I, and we're going to keep getting back to this, but I want to, I want to, um, I looked up your profile. So you coached Princeton, That's right? Right. That's right. All right. All right. All right. Let's get to that point in your life. Sure. That, for a guy who's five foot 10, I'm six, three. Yep. I'm already irritated by you. I'm like, look at this guy. He's <laughs> five, nothing. What does he think he is? But no, I'm kidding. But you were under Greg Hughes. Yep. Um, you graduate Hobart. Yeah. I'm not too worried about how well you did there. I'm sure you did fine. I'm sure you had success. You fell in love with the sport even more. How did you go from graduating Hobart to coaching Princeton for a couple of years? Yeah, that's a, another great question and definitely some stories there. So uh, just, just starting off with the Hobart piece, um, just briefly, um, there was a coaching change my, after my sophomore year um, okay. uh, that uh, – that that has that has turned into a very different direction for the program, mm -hmm. um, and now it's uh, the 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 guy that came in my junior fall, uh, a man by the name of Paul Bugenhagen. Um, we know him well, of course. Uh, most people do. You say Bugenhagen, and they're like, "What? I know that name." <laughs> um, so so he he comes from Bucknell my junior year to, to run our to run our program, um, and sort of I immediately gravitated towards him. Um, He's again an undersized guy uh, who, who's who's made a real mark in the sport um, in a lot of ways. Um, definitely that chip on the shoulder, underdog mentality, um, and sort of take on the world approach. Um, but again, sort of what I was talking about in terms of the training it was very methodical. It was the first time I had trained with the heart rate monitor. Mm -hmm. um, it was the first time that we had I had been introduced to more of the mental aspects of being an athlete, not just a rower. So we did a lot of meditation, uh, what we called quiet sitting. Um, and that actually came from, and you guys also absolutely know this name, Jim, uh, Jimmy Joy, um, who, uh, the Joy of Sculling Conference, right? That's his thing. Um, he was the Canadian national team director, uh, technical director in the eighties. Um, he's run a lot of college programs, Yale, MIT, Wesleyan. 
Uh, and then he actually ended up running the Hobart program uh, for a number of years, left the program, but stayed in Geneva. Anyway, so uh, when Paul came to Hobart, he brought Jimmy back into the mix as like a kind of a consultant. So I, I, I sort of got, a, again, another baptism by fire and sort of the technical and uh, physiological and, and mental uh, qualities of what it means to be an athlete in our sport. And then through that, um, as, as I'm approaching my senior spring uh, up at Hobart 2013, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And, and Paul had sort of suggested to me, actually, hey, I really want you to think about this coaching thing. Uh, you know, I think that, you know, based on sort of our work together and my experiences and this, that, everything else, um, you know, uh, would you want to kind of come be the, uh, you know, unpaid volunteer intern assistant at Hobart, you know, next year? Um, and thought a lot about that. I grappled with it. Um, and, and at the end of the day, it didn't, it didn't really, um, feel right at the time. I, I kind of wanted to, you know, get off campus and I'd been there for four years and right. Um, and, but, you know, keeping in touch with, with Paul as, a, and he's certainly a, a mentor of mine. Yeah. Um, I was looking for, uh, so that next year I actually worked at a gym part-time. I lived at home. Uh, again, just trying to like get, you know, get my feet set, figure it out. So I actually took a year off from rowing entirely. And then that summer, um, I was working up at a summer boarding school uh, up in New Hampshire called Wolfboro, where I was um, the director of their recreation program. Yeah. And I got a call from a buddy of mine uh, whose name is uh, by the name of Dave Grossman. He's another Hobart guy. And he's actually running the Saugatuck boys program uh, right now. And, um, he was an assistant coach at Saugatuck at the time. And he just rang me up and was like, Hey, would you want to be our novice coach um, for this fall? And sort of, again, not really knowing what I wanted to do, but also kind of knowing what I wanted to do. Just didn't really know how to go about it. That like him extending that, like that hand at that time was like incredibly powerful. And, and I, and I hope I've thanked him for that. If he listens to this, Dave, thank you for doing that. Um, because you know, again, with the instruction and, and coaching I got from Paul Bugenhagen and Jimmy Joy at Hobart, and again, the background that I've had in my family, which I've described, it just made sense. So I jumped right in at Saugatuck. I was a novice boys coach um, for uh, all of 10 months. Uh, the boys crushed it. Uh, we didn't, I think we went, uh, we went undefeated all fall. Uh, and then we lost maybe one race in the spring. We retooled a little bit. And we came back, we went to the Northeast Regionals. Uh, this is in the spring of 2015 in Lowell, Mass. We went to the Northeast Regionals and uh, my novice eight was actually the second varsity eight because uh, they were just pretty good. And we won that event. We beat a good CRI crew, um, uh, you know, with a bunch of novices. And um, I just want to give a quick shout out. Out of that boat's actually come an athlete by the name of Harry Burke, who's um, one of the only, if not the only um, three uh, three years in a row medalist at junior worlds. He won a, he won a medal in the Cox four after yeah. sophomore year. He won a medal in the eight after junior year and he won a medal in the eight after his senior year. So I had the good fortune of, of, of introducing a sport to him and teaching him the, the, you know, my methods. And, and, um, he's now at Harvard. Um, he was in there, uh, he was in there two V last spring as a freshman that won, that won uh, sprints and the Harvard Yale race um, for that event. So um, working with an athlete like that also really kind of like, I, I sort of realized early on, like 
the approach that I was sort of talking about, about making our sport cool and all that, you know, he went, he went 630 as a freshman in high school after, after his first ERG test with me guys, he went 208 for 20 minutes. So, so I, so I, I got my hands on this kid who uh, was kind of like a butterball classic, you know, like, chubby kid who just didn't really know what he's a freshman at Staples High School in Westport, Connecticut. Um, his parents threw him in the rowing fire and I just, you know, happened to be at the right place, right time. Um, we did, I remember we did a 20 minute test uh, in preseason at the end of August in 2014. And in May of 2015, he went 630. Um, so that's, that does not happen no. all that often. No, nope. why he is, you know, Harvard, yeah, and going in that 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 is a that's a double stuffed Oreo <laughs> becoming <laughs> like I don't know uh, I don't know like a, a piece of wood or so I don't know I don't know how else to describe it. Yeah. So 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 from there, and again, um, you know, working at a at a high level outfit like Sagatuck, you know, run by the guys uh, Row America Wintech, right? Um, you know, that really uh, helped uh, continue like you know, my desire to be a coach, Chase Graham, um, who's now at Duke was the head girls coach at the time at Sagatuck. He and I became fast friends that year. I ended up helping him out sort of, um, on the side with some of his athletes, um, coaching them in pairs and singles and stuff like that. Just, you know, well, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Chase, great guy, still, still a good friend of mine to this day. So, um, he and I, and, and Gordon Getzinger as well was the assistant coach at Sagatuck at the time. Um, you know, we'd all get together a lot and just talk rowing. You know, we, we talk training, we talk, uh, the, the nuances of the stroke. We, we, and then we'd actually, the three of us would get on the herb together. So we actually did a winter training protocol, <laughs> the three of us as coaches that winter at Sagatuck. Um, you know, I was doing 17 to 20 K a day for about three months straight and, um, with, uh, with Chase and Gordon. And so, um, you the camaraderie know, built around rowing is something special, but, Listen, yeah. I gotta, I gotta direct you to this question. So, you were at Princeton, so yeah, yeah, no, I'm, I'm getting there. You got, <laughs> I'm getting there. <laughs> you, you had this time at Saga Talk, yeah, and you had success, obvious. Yep. Walk me through the interview process at Princeton. Yeah, sure. So, so I, uh, and the reason why I, you know bring up Paul Bugenhagen for the obvious reasons, but the biggest one here is that he was in like me, I, you know, he, he'll probably listen to this and fact check me on this, but uh, early 2000s, let's just call it that. He was the intern assistant under Curtis Jordan at Princeton for a year um, mm -hmm. in the sort of Sam Locke, Steve Coppola era. And um, so, so, so Paul's experience at Princeton, my grandfather being a rowing trustee there, and being a rowing athlete at Princeton, my mom being a, she ran cross country and track at Princeton as well, right? So it sort of made sense that if I was gonna be a coach and I really wanted to do this, I needed to take a massive step and sort of bet on myself. And so um, combine all that and I start emailing with, uh, with Greg um, in maybe March of that spring, March of 2015. And um, I did it completely on a whim I had a part-time job at a gym. I'll never forget. I very nervously sent this email to Greg um, uh, that morning, like again, like March, 2015. And I didn't really expect anything to be honest, guys. I really didn't. I mean, um, the, 
Uh, yeah. So anyway, he got back to me two or three weeks later, maybe, and was just like, you know, hey, Reed, good to hear from you. I know your grandfather really well. Um, he's really helped out our program in a lot of ways. And, you know, thanks for reaching out. Um, you know, the, the sort of intern assistant spot that you're talking about is currently occupied, but, it, you know, there's always turnover. So, you know, I'll certainly reach back out um, sort of, you know, as we approach sprints and, and you know, getting the IRA. And How did that, how, how yeah. what was going through your mind and your heart and your body when you got that email? Because you I, have been elated. I was like, my, it's like when, I, I guess my stomach sort of dropped to the floor. You know, it was like one of those feelings. It was just like, oh my God, this like actually might happen. Holy crap. Like, I don't know what I'm going to do, but like, I'm just going to try to play this so cool. So I just sent him an email back just being, you know, cause it's email, right? Like, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I just, you know, thank you, Greg so much. Like, you know, wish you the best of luck this spring, go Tigers kind of thing. Um, and then I sent him a couple emails just, just following up, you know, cause so, you know, squeaky, squeaky wheel gets the grease, right? Like it just, you kind of have to be diligent with this stuff, especially in our, you know, tight knit, you know, coaching community. Um, and then, so may I want to, re- I want to repeat what you just said, because as people yeah. watch this and listen to this, I'm yeah. always hoping that coaches watch it and maybe, or future coaches. Yeah. Just like you said, the squeaky wheel gets the grease. Yeah. You have to be persistent in our sport. And I'm going to repeat have to. If you are not persistent in any aspect of your life, you will not get the things that you want and desire. I just need people to really understand that. So I'm no. glad to hear that you said that. Good, good. So, so May rolls around and they, they go to sprints. They do really well. I send another follow-up email. Um, we did really well at Northeast Regionals. You know, not that Greg really cares because like it's, it's whatever. That's like T-ball compared to Princeton, right? Um, but, you know, it just, again, it just showed that I had some real interest and, and you know, my kids are doing well. So that's great. Um, and then uh, June, July roll around. I had, I had been helping Chase Graham get the girls ready for the youth national regatta that, uh, you know, where they ended up crushing it. Girls won the eight. Mm-hmm. Um, and that started their run actually, uh, that they're still on. Um, and anyway, kept following up the guy that the intern at the time, uh, took a position, I believe at Penn. And this was like the, the end of June, early July. So again, mind you, let's backtrack. I started emailing with Greg in March and I was not offered this position until the, that third week of July. Well, there's a common theme here for you. You started yeah. going in March and you're in yeah. the belly of the beast in July. You reach out to a guy in March and you're in the belly of the beast in July. So he, so he, he had, um, I'd actually been interviewing for a position out at uh, Long Beach Road in California, um, which I had, had been offered, um, but sort of, you know, I had been upfront with them and just said, Hey, look, like I am talking to this place called Princeton. Um, and they were like, yeah, we totally get it. So <laughs> anyway, um, so that was sort of plan B if Princeton didn't work out. And then I, again, right place, right time, very persistent. Um, just kind of stayed the course. I didn't really care if he ever responded to my emails or not. Cause I knew he would probably read them anyway. Mm-hmm. And, um, and there I was third week of July, we're on the phone and he's like, well, when can you be here? And I was like, and I just remember being again, like sort of Alex, how you alluded to, it's like, what's the feeling? Like I, like, my head was spinning. You know, I just, I just didn't know. I, I mean, I rode at Salisbury. I, I rode at Hobart, two great places, obviously not the level of Princeton. Um, <laughs> and there I was, you know, packing up my car first week of August, uh, 
hit 995 South pretty quickly, getting going to the boathouse. You know, just just top down, windows open, just going, and and you can't have a thought in your head that lasts more than ten seconds. You are just so excited to start your new life, man. I have been there. Yeah, and I know what you're talking about, and I and it's it's very hard to to eloquently uh, describe that sensation, that feeling, right? That's right. And you and you're showing it in your facial expressions, and that's why I appreciate so much this Zoom. Awesome ability so you you do this you, yep. what, what, I, I you know what's your day one like you you walk up to princeton's boathouse yep. it is one of the meccas of rowing right like 100%. beautiful boathouse picturesque yep. a little bridge over there mm-hmm. what's your what's day one like for you what happens uh yeah so so there uh not a lot of people know this but um there's a big apartment in the back of the boathouse um you go up the set of stairs all the way and then um, if you were to walk straight and turn right, you'd go into the big ballroom there, mm-hmm. but instead of turning right there, you actually hook back to your left and you go back towards the women's locker room and there's a fully furnished, uh, two bedroom, two bathroom, you know, uh, apartment back there. So, um, that was obviously a big deal, um, getting free housing. So I move in there and I'm sitting on my couch uh, that I'd worked out, like I'd, you know, the guy's moving out, you know, I'd worked some stuff out, you know, could you leave the furniture? Here's like a hundred bucks, whatever. So, um, they left a bunch of stuff. Yeah. And Steve Coppola, uh, comes knocking on my door. Um, who, Steve being the Cornell women's head coach now, um, you know, obviously, you know, big time athlete in our sport, Beijing bronze medalist. Yeah. I know who he is and he now knows who I am because I'm the, you know, intern heavyweight assistant coach for Greg Hughes. And he's like, what are you doing? I'm like, yeah, I just moved in, sitting here. It's like an August day. It's like Jersey swamp heat, right? Yeah, no, well. Just cool, cooling my heels. And he's like, you want me to show you some stuff? And I was like, uh, yeah, let's do it. And he's like, you know, bring your boots, this, this, and this. This might get a little messy. Um, he took me out in the barge, the course launch. Yeah. Uh, and uh, we, we pulled some buoys and did some – did some work on the uh, on the course uh, on the grid there at Princeton with the wiring and, and uh, so again just keeping with the theme of baptism by fire there I was in the middle of Lake Carnegie doing buoy stuff and, and coursework with Steve Coppola on day one. It, right, I'm gonna I'm gonna change I'm gonna change the questions a little bit here just okay. because you brought me into a 2,000 meter course so yeah. Um, your story is fascinating and, and I have a feeling that we're going to be doing a part two with you just because you, you speak so clearly. Um, we just started this thing called coaches yelling. Okay. And it's a lot like round the horn. It's exactly yeah. like round the horn. Love it. We just launched our first episode yesterday. We have a special guest, I believe coming on for tomorrow when we record it. It's, it's going to blow your mind who we have. It's pretty okay. But we had uh, Luke Walton, a former yeah. Olympian Cal bear. We had Mike Wallen, Carrie Simmons, Okay. And a really close friend of mine, Zach Epperson. Cool. He's, he's around. Anyway, the question was, what do you think would happen to the future of rowing if the course, if the 2,000-meter course was changed, if we did a different distance? Okay. You, I, I bring this up because you spent your day one focusing on the course that's historic at, at Princeton. Going back to one of my questions of how do we make this fun, what do you think happens to our sport if we change the distance to say 1250 or 1500 or 1000? I think right off the top, and this is the knock against 
it's not a spectator sport. It would, it would, it would accommodate, uh, you know, more sort of in-person viewership right away. Right. Shorter course, you know, means, um, you know, you can, as a spectator, you're sitting there in the stands or you're on the towpath or what have you, you know, you see, you can basically see the start to finish, right? 1.2 miles. It's impossible. Um, and so I think right away the spectatorship would increase. Um, I think that obviously the racing would become a lot more intense. Um, and I think the other big thing is we would now uh, be able to market our athletes in a sort of a, a la Michael Phelps swimming style way where, um, you know, they could do uh, multiple events, um, in, you know, in a week of racing, what have you, right? Because the shorter the course, the yep. less, you know, physiologically demanding it is, so to speak, um, in a lot of ways, right? Um, uh, so yeah, I think that that would also be a, a real thing, right? A guy could go from the single to the pair to the four to the eight, uh, you know, pretty pretty easily. So I, I like many others, uh, certainly, you know, am comfortable with the 2,000 meter distance, training the athletes and, and what have you. But um, I think a bit of a, a shakeup and uh, a change of pace could, could be really good for our sport in that sense. This, this uh, ends episode one of two with Reed Johnson. We are going to have a follow-up with Reed Johnson, and you're going to see this immediately after. Um, we got a guy who was a hockey player. He was a hockey bro, lax convert, becomes a rower, 5'10", 100-and-nothing pounds. His, gra- his grandfather has is in the history books of Princeton rowing. He understands the sport better than most, and he's running Pelham. When we get back for the next episode, we're going to be talking about his experience as a coach of young athletes. Um, I hope you've enjoyed this episode so far. Thanks for watching. This is the Rower's Choice Podcast. Rower's Choice is made up of finish line shell repair, Resolute Racing Shells, and Sykes USA.